electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The two-day rally for stocks, whether you should believe in it or fade it. We'll debate that, of course, with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Jenny Harrington, Josh Brown, and Farmer Jim Labenthal right in front of me here on the set. It's nice to see everybody in the house. Let's check the markets as we always do. Well, we're holding on to a gain. It's not as quite as good as it was, but we've got a 200-point gain for the Dow. We've got a 25-point gain. We're still above 3,700 on the S&P 500. Maybe one of the culprits as to why we're not as strong as we were is the 10-year note yield is above 4% again. The two-year is near 450 You do, Josh, have the best two-day gain for the NASDAQ since March, and you as well have a VIX that is still somewhat elevated given the strength of the rally. We're above 31. So take all of that into consideration and tell me how you feel with this move today. So I think it's very important when we're in the midst of a bear market rally to be measured in terms of like how far we think these things can go or how long they can last for, because there are no rules of thumb that are helpful here. Um, And as we see this morning's gains start to melt away, one of the things I like to tell people is don't be sad it's over. Just be glad it happened. We did need we did need a break um, from from the new low machine. And we got it. And a lot of people have now had a chance to reassess where they are, what they own, how much cash they have, um, how much bonds, how much stock. It's hard to do that in trending markets up or down. So it's nice to be able to just catch our breath. Um, Let's take a look. 35 companies have reported earnings for for Q3 so far. It's still obviously very early. 68.5% of those companies have beaten estimates, which is lower than the prior four-quarter average of 78%, but above the long-term average of 66%. So, so far, I think the most constructive thing you could say is that this is a normal, quote-unquote, normal earnings season, and really nobody should be jumping out of their chair for joy, yeah. and nobody should be in tears. Yeah. We haven't had you know, any, any blow-ups yet, and maybe it's too early uh, for Get that. Ready. As we, yeah, well, maybe it's just too early this earnings season for that. Jenny, um, Believe in it or fade it. I ask you that as Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG today says fade it. Quote, we think the recent action is telling and has tended to occur in the midst of bear markets more than the start of new bulls. We don't think we're at the final end of this bear market. Therefore, we would be inclined to fade this rally. That's what Krinsky of BTIG says. What about you? Believe it, fade it, what? I think when you put it into those black and white camps of believe or fade, you're really putting it into trading terms. And I'm an investor. And what I look at is that we've been in a bottoming process since June. I don't know how long that bottoming process will take, but we had a lot of excess. And we're reconciling and consolidating that excess right now. And I think we're actually doing it in a way that when we reflect back in two years, we're gonna reflect back and say like, hey, that was pretty healthy actually. Went from 21 times earnings down to 15 times earnings. 
a lot of people are hurting, but a lot of people are okay. We need to remember there's a real mismatch out there. You've got ARK and those kind of nosebleed evaluation stocks down 62%, S&P down 23 and change, dividend stocks down nine. So there's a lot out there, and I don't think it's either or. If you are a long-term investor, just stay the course. Yeah, but if see- you're a trader, if you're a trader, Scott, I don't know how to I don't know how to account for that because the moves are too emotional. And that that's one other thing too. Like if you ask me right now, what's the biggest influence of the market? I would say it's actually not inflation, it's not earnings. It is sentiment. And you look at the you look at the University of Michigan sentiment story, you look at Ed Yardeni's um, bull bear index, those are at historic lows, like the lowest they've ever been since they were measured. This is not as bad as the great financial crisis. This is not as bad as the worst of the pandemic. So emotions went too far. We're going to waffle around, but I think we're in a bottoming process. If you want to get in now, you can. Okay. Uh, We'll come back to that. If you want to get in now, uh, you can, because there is debate about that. And I would also say to you, yes, you can correct from 21 times to 15 times, and you paint it as, oh, no big whoop. I would suggest to you, well, 15 times what? Okay, fair enough. what? And we'll get back to that in a moment. So hold your thought. Krinsky's not the only one suggesting that you should fade the rally. It's Wolf as well. Short-term rips lead to deeper dips. Despite the potential for a near-end or a near-term risk-on rally, they're bearish to the end of the year. UBS, we don't believe that conditions are in place for a sustained rally, and the risk-reward for markets over the next three to six months is unfavorable. You want to take issue with any of that? Uh, I don't think me. you do. I think you kind of agree with that. No, what I Despite want to say is... Despite the fact you're choked up about it. <laughs> no, sorry. God, talk about bad timing. You know what I want to point out first? I'm going to come right to this. Okay. It's five minutes into the show. You know what word has not crossed anybody's lips? The Fed. Two words. Okay. But thank five God. minutes. Thank God. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not being a smart aleck here. I think this is strongly why the market has a little bit better sentiment right now. We can focus on fundamentals, particularly where I like to live, and I think Jenny and Josh do too, talking about specific companies, whether it's Goldman Sachs today, whether it was J.P. Morgan last week or Delta Airlines. I think we have looked forward, I know I have, to this earnings season, Scott, because we've been so focused on the Fed and on technicals, speaking to Krinsky and others, that where people like me really want to live is listening to companies say what is going on in their world. So if it's Bank of America, because Brian Moynihan yesterday saying the consumer looks pretty good. I mean, that's paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah. I take he was some kind of cautious, though, right? He, yeah, I, you, Solomon's you know, cautious. I, Goldman CFO cautious. Everybody has to be, today. right? I mean, let's talk. Uh, well, now, now I've brought up the Fed, right? So we have raised 300 basis points. We're likely to be at 450 by the end of the year. So, of course, that's going to have an effect. But I think it's important that so far companies, so far, very early in this earnings season, companies aren't saying that the consumer is falling out of bed. That's a good mm-hmm. sign. The problem with everything I'm saying is... Is it, though? Paradoxically, don't we kind of want the consumer to retrench? I hear you. I hear you. I don't, can even, I, can, I don't can even I just, know. Can I, I, can I give my opinion of yeah. no? I mean, I get, I get where we are that bad news is good news. I just hate it. I've been there before. Same. I want good news to be good news. I know. But I know. Even, even good, like, let's say good news... Um, doesn't necessarily mean good news for everybody, right? J&J is a good example. It's not like they had terrible results. I'm looking at a story right here that they're likely to make some cuts to their workforce despite higher sales and profits. That's mm-hmm. according to the Wall Street Journal. Well, you got a strong um, labor Microsoft. Market. Yeah, but, but, but wait a minute. Job cuts, but, right? But it's important to point out, like, the reaction, Goldman Sachs up 2% today, great. It was not a good quarter. Profit was down 43%. The thing that's happening now, though, is, like, we all knew it would be. 
So uh, I could say the same thing about the stock I own in this group, J.P. Morgan. It wasn't a good quarter. They didn't tell you it would be a good quarter. They didn't come out and say it was a good It was just whatever. It's what the market already knew was the taking net place. Guidance, the net interest Hold on. income guidance was pretty I want to hear, though, I want to hear from, from Stephanie Link. She's on the committee uh, today, too. <laughs> Steph, I wish, you were, I wish you were sitting right here. Um, and forgive me for taking some seven and a half minutes to get to you. But you've heard the conversation. So please uh, take part. Sure. So um, I wish I was there, too, <laughs> but it's great to be on. Um, I, I, look, I think we got very oversold in the short term. Uh, there was a lot of negative sentiment. There still is a lot of negative sentiment. Um, and, and at the same time, actually, the economic data hasn't been horrible. It's not telling us that we're in a recession right this very moment, uh, especially if you look at retail sales, you look at industrial production today, you look at capacity utilization, jobs we know are very strong. Yes, housing is terrible. That is the bad uh, part of what's going on right now. And that's what the Fed actually wants to engineer. Um, but it does show that we have some momentum. And as a result of that, earnings are coming in a little bit better than feared a little bit better than expected. And numbers are not getting ratcheted down for 2023 yet. Uh, again, it is early. Jimmy mentioned that too. And I know it is early, but so far I feel really good. And it's not just the banks. It's kind of broad based. Um, there are, and then of course we have seasonality is in our favor, right? And especially after midterm. So I can see a short term bouncing here for sure. Uh, I think the two important dates that we have to put on our calendar uh, is on November 2nd. That's the FOMC meeting. And then November 4th is the jobs report. And those things, we're going to learn some, some stuff, right? We're going to learn about inflation. We're going to learn about the Fed and the tone and that sort of thing. And so between now and then, maybe we can rally. But I still believe that we're going to be in this choppy environment because recession is bound to happen, in my opinion, in 2023. See, I said, um, you know, Jenny, yesterday, I think it was the the moral of this whole story is going to be that it's just too early to think that you're going to see, you know, earnings blow ups and the consumer start to really take a hit, that it's going to take longer because it takes a long time for Fed activity to get through the pipes of the economy. So those who are looking for earnings blowups this quarter, you're not gonna see it. But don't be fooled in thinking that that's an all clear for the future. It's just a pushed off of the malaise that's gonna happen to the economy, which is already slowly starting to happen. That's why the likes of Moynihan and, and Solomon and some of these others, while you know they're not negative, they're starting to get a little more cautious because they know what's coming. But you know what I think? I think you're exactly right, but I think it's the asymmetry of the blowups that's actually going to make a smoother, a little bit easier landing. We had some really nasty blowups last quarter. We are going to have some nasty blowups this quarter. We're going to have some nasty blowups next quarter. Steph said something super important. She said, so far, it's better than feared. My partner Greg said something really smart this morning. He said, Here's my guess for earnings. It's going to be worse than forecast and better than feared for this quarter. So I think you're right, Scott. But I think as we have some nasty blowups in the future, there will be offsets. And so this quarter, you see the net interest income saving the banks. And if you look at how S&P 500 earnings are made up, we see banks might actually put a safety net on the bottom. Energy might put a safety net. And I think how that those net out is really going to but be the kind my of point about what you said in our initial mm-hmm. you know, kickoff of the conversation is that now's a good time to buy stocks. Ah. And you also said that, okay, it's all right. You know, you come down from 15, uh, 21 to 15 times. And I suggested to you, well, 15 times what? So good point. tell me, tell our viewers why you think now is a good time to buy stocks. So this goes exactly back to our conversation last week when I said I bought Seagate. And the reason I bought Seagate is because I think that stock 
has already bottomed. Perhaps that industry, from a stock perspective, maybe not the supply dynamics of their business, but the stocks have already bottomed. And that gets into this asymmetrical, I can't even speak today, asymmetrical experience that we're having. So you can always find individual companies out there that have bottomed, that are the right price to buy now. I do not think you should just buy spiders today. I think that you need to pick through. If we're gonna talk about software, I do not think you should buy software. I do not think you should buy semis. I think you can pick through the semi-index. To, Jenny, to Jenny's oh, point. Let me just finish. Oh, okay. and, and the semi-index and the software index, and you can find individual companies. And so you can always buy those now. And if your point is correct that it's going to be long, which I think it is, and we're in the bottoming process, you don't need to rush to do it. You can actually take your time as a research analyst now yeah. and do the research, whereas for the past five well, years, you've had to scramble and do everything crazy so ho- quickly. So ho- hold your thought, Josh, mm-hmm. real quick, because you're, you're sort of walking into where I wanted to go with Steph, because... You added to Broadcom, right? I mean, it's taking a look around and I don't know, what is this, the second or third, fourth time you've added to this position that you have and and have liked in a space that's challenged, even in an uncertain macro. Why now? Well, the stock is down 34% year to date. It trades at 11.8 times earnings and it yields about 3.7%. Why do I like it? And I have confidence in the earnings in the E, which is what you're asking about, is because their end markets are very strong. AI, cloud, data center, enterprise. Uh, I also like the fact that this company has done an enormous amount of M&A and now software is about 49% of total revenues to the company, recurring revenue. And that is that also gives me confidence in the earnings piece. They have a VMware that they just bought and they haven't even begun to see the synergies just yet. Uh, and their customer lead times are at 50 days, uh, excuse me, weeks. So the visibility is pretty good there. They have best in class gross margins and operating margins, and they're going to generate $16 billion in free cash flow each year for the next several years. That gives them a lot of f- flexibility for growth and also for dividends and buybacks. And so I just kind of thought, after the stock fell 34%, after they beat and raised last quarter, that it got uh, just, it was down just too much for me. And I'll keep buying it if it keeps going down. But um, I'm, I'm underweight semis, but this one I think is a special situation. See, Jenny, I'll throw it back to you too. We're at 3,700 on the S&P, right? Dubrovko Lakos of JP Morgan cut his earnings for next year to 225. Um, that's a little bit below consensus. You take your 15, you 15 times and you put it on top of that, that's 33.75, right? Why would I want to buy stocks today if I think that you might be right on, on multiple, but wrong on direction? And again, it's what are you buying? Are you buying Seagate or are you buying this, the S&P 500 overall? And I think that's where you just need to be granular, where it's, I mean, I've been, we've been saying this for a couple of years now, which is the work is getting hard. It is easy to say I'm going to buy an ETF. It is hard to read through 10Ks, balance sheets, run valuation models and figure out which of these five companies make sense in buying. Josh, what you were saying before? Well, I wanted to add on to what Jenny was saying because I think it's an important point. It's not a binary decision. Do I buy? Do I not buy? There are uh, large sectors of the market that did not violate the June lows. Um, So this is not less about valuation, more about price, more about sentiment. There are large areas of the market that did not violate the June lows into the overall market September lows. And those are the stocks, in my opinion, that deserve attention. They may not be the best, quote unquote, dead cat bounce candidates. They may not give you the most trading gains off the low. But if you're an investor, I think you want to pay attention when the market continues to sell off 
but specific stocks or sectors don't. That tells you that there is accumulation that is ignoring the overall market picture or maybe even trying to get ahead of it. And those include healthcare, some select financials. Uh, there, are, there are lots of things that you could, uh, obviously energy. The second part about earnings, yeah, we understand that earnings are going to come down. We've been saying it all year, earnings too high, too high, too high. That process is well underway. Q3 earnings uh, estimates have already decreased by 6.6% just since the end of Q2 reporting season. So that work is happening. 10 out of 11 sectors have had analyst downgrades. You've had the communication sector. Earnings have come down 13% in the last three months for that group. The only group that was spared the estimate, uh, the, the estimates coming down is energy, which, again, is kind of right there in the stocks. So I think we're not really in a yes or no do I buy. It's what are the areas that we should be focused on, even if it's not the overall bottom for the S&P 500. Exactly. And just to buttress what you're both saying, if you take Dubrovko's 225 number and put it into the current level of the index, you get to 16.4. Now, another friend of the show, Ed Yardeni, has pointed out that if you back out the top eight by market cap, mm-hmm. you go down 1.9 pull out terms. Amazon, pull out Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Pull out Amazon. I'm sorry, Josh. Pull out NVIDIA. Pull out, you know, Apple. OK, but Tesla. Right. You pull you pull those big eight out. And honestly, a lot of us do that because we're not buying Tesla at the price that it's at right now. You go to 14 and a half times. Is that the right multiple? Hmm, maybe. Well, probably. I mean, you cite Yardeni, but he doesn't think like you that we're going to have a recession. That is right? true. He keeps thinking soft landing. Well, he yeah. keeps saying rolling recession. Um, yes, and that's but, that but, asymmetric. But I'm sorry, Jenny. He's saying your, there your are recessions is, currently. Your mm-hmm. point is well made, but I just want to point out he's just talking about the math. Mm-hmm. If you back the top eight out, which, because of what's happened the last decade, are the most expensive amongst large cap stocks. This is the point Jenny's making, Josh is making. Pick stocks, folks. One, la- you know one, la- one last thing on this, and this is so important. A lot of people are looking at, like, average earnings fall off in recession, and the number <laughs> is 20 to 25%, depending on who you talk to. And it's true. But a lot of that stuff is highly skewed. A lot of investors tend to, when there's market volatility, they start driving using the rearview mirror. 2008, 2009 is not your proxy for the earnings fall off this time. That is- we had hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in financial, insurance company, real estate write downs, which are just not going to materialize this time. You could be bearish. I've been bearish all year. You can be skeptical, et cetera, et cetera. But like that should not be your proxy for what we're about to yep. see. You, you may never uh, see an earnings write down wipeout like what we saw 14 years ago ever again. So start thinking about maybe moderating your expectations, even if you want to bet on further downside for the market. Hey, Steph, a couple of quick things before we uh, before we take a break. I want you to just drill on on J&J uh, for a moment because you own it and they trim their guidance. But give me your read on it. A, you know, a day where the market's doing pretty well and this one's not doing really anything. Well, and it's done really well year to date. It's only down 2.7% year to date in a market that's down 25%. So um, there are were high expectations. I, I thought the quarter was fine. I really did. And I thought they narrowed the, get, the guidance. They didn't lower the guidance. Total revenues for this company of this size of 8%, I think is very impressive. And what we wanted to see is pharmaceutical division 
do well, and it did. It exceeded expectations at 9% growth year over year. Um, and med tech, med devices up 8.1%, very healthy. I think that's going to be a driver for 20, uh, 2023. Uh, and the consumer is still on track to spin. So I still like this story. It's a very defensive position. It's got a nice dividend yield, a great balance sheet. So, you know, it's weak today. If it, if it continues to be weak, I'll, I'll just add more to it. Jimmy, Goldman Sachs. You own that. <clears throat> yeah. Give me I your thought there. Well, first off, it was saved by trading revenues, which is one quarter you're going to get a good trading number. The next quarter you're not going to get a good trading number. Really what you're looking for in Goldman Sachs is to the economy, for the economy to recover. You pointed out rightly, Scott, that I think there's a pretty good chance that we don't have a recession. And if you get into all that CapEx that I've been talking about for a while, that needs funding. And that, that promotes deal flows, particularly also as the market comes back, which I think it should, apropos of your very well-made point, Josh, that you know, great financial crisis is not your metric. We might well be as low as it goes right now. And as the market comes back, so does deal flow. So a good quarter but to hold the stock, which I am, is predicated on we're not going into the disaster scenario that many people see in the Well, economy. see, I, let me just come back to you on that. Um, I feel like we're more uh, on the precipice of corporate hunkering, if you will, rather than <laughs> corporate splurging. Yeah. Right. The cost of capital is yeah. much more expensive than, than it was. The environment is way more uncertain than yeah. it was. I mean, you get the gist of that from these comments that you're getting from not only the CEOs, but CFOs who are in charge of doling but out investors, the dollars. But investors like that, and they will, you will see corporate, corporates uh, pivot back toward heavy-duty buybacks and less focus on, let's build our metaverse right, app. Right, but, but Jim, is, Jim is painting a picture in which there's going to be this corporate splurge on uh, uh, CapEx. Uh, okay, well, I, see your, in, in, in I uns, see your point. In, in what is a highly uncertain environment, with a, a much greater cost of capital than existed before. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to clarify. Let me tell you what I'm, what I'm not seeing is what, Scott, I'm most terrified about, is the layoffs by the tens of thousands that then show up in the monthly employment reports where you're losing hundreds of thousands of jobs. Now, please, don't everybody come at me about what this means for the Fed. That's not my point. My point is what I've been worried about and where I worry about corporate earnings is when you've got literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of newly laid off people who are simply not consuming for an economy that's 70 percent consumption that's what terrifies me and i just well that's it, the it seagull. could happen no it but that's could that, happen. i hear it you that's happen. the seagull just, point of view right is that you as the fed you the fed he is so critical of because he's like okay you are going to cause a scenario in which you see it could you're going to cause all these layoffs to the point where you're going to make everything so much worse because you're going to cause the job losses, the not lack yet. of consumption. No evidence no, of that. No, not yet. Not yet. But They're trickling. But the job I, cuts but are trickling. You seem highly specific to big-name brand yeah. technology companies. <clears throat> it's Microsoft. It's Amazon. It's Netflix. It's companies that are part of pop culture, and so the newspaper puts them in, uh, in bold print. But in reality... There is absolutely none of this going on in the labor market. The bigger concern. Well, that's why we're, the economy is holding up to the, it's to one of the, the reasons, degree it is in, in large yeah. part. But the also, job market is too strong to be in a recession. But also bank account balances exactly. are still higher than they were They're pre-pandemic. Still a trillion dollars higher of personal savings right. than pre-pandemic. So that's, a, that's another big factor. So that's why you have people feel, look, job switchers are being rewarded with a 9% raise. People keeping their job are getting a 5% raise. You've got a trillion dollars in excess savings above and beyond where we were pre-pandemic. And if you talk to a CFO at a corporation and you ask them, why aren't you laying people off yet? 
and say, do you know how much harder it's going to be for me to release the butterflies out of the net yeah. and then have to go catch them next year when the recession's over? Let's Nobody's do Let, doing it. Let's uh, squeeze in a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we need to talk about shares of Salesforce. They're hired today as activist investor Starboard reveals a stake in that Dow stock. Talk about what it means for investors like Farmer Jim, who owns it. Get his take coming up next, back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to The Half. I'm Bertha Coombs here with your CNBC News update at this hour. The death toll continues to rise after a Russian warplane crashed into a residential area in a Russian city to the south of Ukraine. Authorities say at least 13 people were killed when the plane went down and surveillance cam footage shows the fireball after the explosion. The Russian defense ministry blamed engine failure for the crash. In his speech in just a few minutes, President Biden is expected to make a promise to codify abortion rights if Democrats maintain control of Congress. A Democratic official tells NBC News that a bill to codify Roe v. Wade will be, quote, the first bill Biden will send to the next Congress, and he hopes to sign it in the, on the 50th anniversary of the decision in January. Democrats face a steep battle to try and maintain control of Congress, and many Democrats across the country have campaigned heavily on abortion rights. The president also announcing last night that the application for student debt relief is now available. In August, Biden said he would cancel up to $10,000 for many borrowers who earned less than $125,000 a year. The online application will be open through December 31st of 2023. Scott. Okay. Back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Netflix reporting earnings in overtime today. The streaming company saying it would add 1 million subscribers for Q3 after losing 1.2 million in the last two quarters. So you own it. What are you most 
interested in hearing about in overtime tonight? Honestly, it'll be the, it'll be the Q&A. So I, I tend to listen to these conference calls using the quarter app. And there's a feature you can skip the boilerplate, go right to the analyst questions. And a lot of the questions will be about the quarter. But then there's going to be some stuff about the launch next month of the ad-supported platform. And I think that that is going to be the most important factor on whether or not Netflix can finish out this year strong. Um, One thing that's really interesting that the company is working on is stickier content. And the metric is they want uh, they want in any 28 day period, they want programs that keep the average viewer watching 75 minutes or more of that program. So they have some big recent hits. Uh, Dahmer is on fire. So sexy right now. Everybody's going to Halloween as Dahmer. So they have a little bit of momentum on the content side. I have always looked at this as more of a content issue than a pricing issue, quite frankly. Um, so that's that's starting to get fixed. They're starting to focus more on that. But then you look at tonight, like I have no confidence that this is going to be a quarter that saves the stock. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a range analyst estimates all over the place, literally, from 44 cents at the low to $2.07 at the high. The consensus right in the middle of $1.12. How do you make sense of a range you, like that? Let me ask you this. You know, you know, better than, you know the story better than me. Um, do you still have the possibility of sub numbers skewed by stranger things? That, that's number one. And number two, an analyst came on in the last hour and said that the company's, un, you know, a transition uh, is, is underway from, I want your take on this, from a high-growth sub-based business to a low-growth media business. So the multiple is different. And it's yeah. going to be different from here forward. But that's, How do you look at that? Well, that's, that's so, so, right. So that's from the department of tell me something I don't know. Again, this was a 65 times earnings story that's now 20 times. Um, the problem is this has not been a great stock to get bullish on the day of earnings. So I'm in it. I'm in it at much lower prices. But I would not be like racing to buy it right here. Since January of 2020, Netflix has reported earnings 11 times. There have only been two, two positive reactions in the stock market the next day. It sold off the other nine instances, an average loss of 3.6%. And if that's the average, then you know some of those were way worse, including, uh, including the one that we had this spring. So this is not a let me bet on the earnings, mm-hmm. and I promise you, like, I'm clenching right now. I'm doing my kegels, okay? I'm not like, oh, this is going to be great. I promise you, I'm in the stock. If they blow it out for whatever reason or there's a good reaction, if you see me walking around taking a victory lap, smack me right in the face because I'm not doing that. I'm just saying I am willing to bet that a lot of the bad news is already in this name and that there are a lot of positive potential catalysts. I have no idea what the subscriber number is going to be. I definitely think that's going to be what determines tomorrow's trading. So if you have a strong view here, by all means, do what you got to do. I do not. We're going (laughs) to... In I know you're going to call me later for no, the earnings. No, no I'm, not even gonna call, I'm not even going to call you later. All I'm right. going to tell you right now okay. that you're going to call in later. I'm not going to waste my <laughs> I time honestly, later. I honestly have a doctor's appointment, but <laughs> he might not mind. He watches the show, actually. He's going to wonder why you're doing yeah, this. We're no. going to find a time. Shout to Dr. Nobby. We're going to find out a time within the hour. We'll see if you're even more okay. clenched all right, all right. or if you've relaxed all right. a little bit all when right. the numbers come out. Jim, you own Disney and 
And Stop Paramount. laughing at me. And what? Paramount. Are you this, is harder than it, this is harder than it looks, by the You're way. You're laughing at him, not at Paramount, oh, right? definitely at him. Is, well, actually, that's been laughable. I would be clenching oh, over no. Paramount, too. The no, stock's listen, been laughable. Mightily, mightily outperformed Netflix. I'm not taking a shot at Josh because he's only recently owned it. Mightily owned it on a year-to-date and a two-year basis. So stop on Paramount. But you and I like to play on that. That's fine. What do you mean? Look, it's like you own the stock. We're talking about streaming. This I'm, isn't about playing. <laughs> The stock's down 34%. Okay. All right, playtime's over. He was smiling. Playtime is over. All right, just listen, okay? The last two quarters, Paramount and Disney have put up fabulous streaming numbers. Fabulous streaming numbers. But it hasn't mattered because Netflix has come out first in earnings on both quarters and really stunk up the joint. And I'm sure. sorry, both no, Josh sure. and I. Both sure. Josh and I want Netflix to kill it tonight so that the good earnings reports, the good streaming subscriber additions that should come from Disney and Paramount aren't overlooked as they have been the last two quarters. Okay. Let's take a quick break. Coming up, a big bet on one stock ahead of its earnings tomorrow. We have the options action on that, and we'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime. We're watching shares of Las Vegas Sands today. We do have some major options action ahead of its earnings tomorrow, according to Scott Nations. He's the founder of Nations Indexes. He's tracking and flagged it for us. What do you see in this? Scott, this one's really interesting. Just after the open today, somebody bought 1,000 of the 35 strike puts expiring in January in Las Vegas Sands. That's a big put trade for the name. It remains the biggest put trade uh, in the name today. And the timing is interesting, Scott, because Las Vegas Sands reports tomorrow, as you said, we expect them to, to announce a loss of 24 cents a share. And that's because the company has just been hammered by COVID-related travel restrictions in China. Remember that despite the name, Las Vegas Sands no longer owns a casino in Las Vegas. They are way overweight Macau. Uh, those travel restrictions were eased as of September 25th. But somebody thinks that that's just too late for the quarter. Uh, the put buyer, they paid $3.25. That means their break-even is $31.75. That's the bottom of the big downdraft in March. But somebody thinks that the results tomorrow are going to be terrible and that Las Vegas Sands is going to be well below thirty-one seventy-five at that January expiration. Yeah, you lay it out well, and it's interesting that they don't have a Vegas presence because Vegas has been killing it. And as you suggest, Macau's the issue, and it's going to remain an issue The only thing I would say is, well, we kind of already know that. And the stock, especially over the last, let's say, 10 days, has reflected that. And the worry about what's taking place over there. Last week, this was one of the worst stocks, if not the worst, in the S&P 500. Uh, Scott, it got a nice bounce when Macau announced again on September 25th that they were going to ease those travel restrictions. But that's going to be that's going to be too late. Uh, at least for this quarter. And if they have another flare-up, then they're just going to reimpose those travel restrictions. And so the company's going to be, uh, is going to have a really tough time 
in this previous quarter. We're going to have to listen to what they have to say going forward. But, you know, Scott, somebody is spending a lot of money. They're paying nearly 9% of the stock price to get into this position. Mm -hmm. And it only breaks even if the stock drops another 14%. So somebody has high conviction that things are not going to go well for Vegas Sands between now and January. Yeah, appreciate it very much with the Options Action, Scott Nations. Thank you so much. So, Pharma Jim, you own uh, Wynn, yeah. uh, which has its own problems with, with Macau, correct? Yes, but you've already you just analyzed this a second ago. Las Vegas is killing it. The value of Win at an enterprise value level is in Las Vegas. Macau is a zero cost premium or excuse me, zero premium call option on Macau if it ever gets better. The problem is it keeps getting whipped around as Las Vegas Sand does on whatever's going on in Macau. But the way to value Win is on Las Vegas. That's what the value of the enterprise value is right now. All right, we'll take another quick break. We'll come back. We got Santoli's midday word from the New York Stock Exchange. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the New York Stock Exchange. Pretty good stuff uh, for a second day, right? You, got, you take 3,700 on the S&P, but I'm keeping a real close eye, Mike, on yields because as they yeah. tick up a little bit, stocks tick down a little bit and vice versa, depending on the movement there. Yeah, it's been a very clear dynamic. It doesn't have to be permanent. It doesn't have to correspond to very specific levels, but that's been the effect. And in fact, when we got a little bit of uh, a backing off of uh, the equity indexes, from the morning highs. It was obviously because the 10-year crossed above four. It looked like the two-year uh, was going to be heading back to four and a half. So, yes, we're, we're kind of in that mode of, uh, of being very responsive uh, to what's going on in yields. On the other hand, uh, you could just see it as a bit of a test of the, the strength of, a, of an oversold rally, people feeling like seasonally you have some tailwinds kicking in. Also interesting, I mean, home builder sentiment and just the housing market in general in collapse, and you have uh, the home builder ETF up on the day, outperforming for six months. It's a little bit of a puzzle. Uh, maybe the pain has been registered in the, uh, in the, in the market, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of a funny dynamic. What do you make of the VIX, 31? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, you're seeing a 2% or 2.6% rally yesterday is still a pretty jumpy market. And I think bond market volatility, which is just really almost off the charts and has been for a while, is keeping, in general, uh, anxiety elevated. I, I think it's just the, the, the whipsaw that we've seen over the last, let's say, four or five trading days is keeping it above 30. Uh, wall of worries, pretty high, uh, but you just don't want it to translate into you know, direct capital market instability, if that's what the VIX is registering. Mm-hmm. So I'm not concerned about it. I think it's more of a neutral uh, than a uh, it's sort of an atmospheric condition. It's not necessarily a signal of something to come. Gotcha. We uh, will see how it ends today and we'll talk about right. it uh, in overtime with your last yep. word. That's Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange. We do have some stock calls of the day to talk about, including an upgrade for one retailer that Stephanie Link owns. We'll do it next. Let's get to a couple of calls of the day. Target, Steph, was upgraded today at Jeffries. They, uh, they go with a price target to 185 from 170. What do we think here? Well, I mean, the stock is down so much year to date. It's down 32% year to date. 
trades at about 13 times earnings, if you believe the earnings. I do. Um, I think this company's done a really good job in terms of offering the value to the consumer. The traffic has not been their problem. Comps have been running the 2 to 3% consistently, and they're taking market share. The problem is inventories. Remember uh, back uh, last quarter, inventories were up 68% on a three-year basis. So they've got to work that down. So it's really a timing thing in terms of when they fix the, these inventories. They will fix them. And I think it's going to be a 2023 event. And that when that happens, then margins can go back to expansion mode. So I'm staying patient. Stock is very cheap. Good company. Kind of on sale at this point. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, Cowan is still a believer in Qualcomm. They reiterate their outperform. And uh, they have a price target of 185. The stock's at 111. Yeah. 185, that sounds aggressive, no? I, look, in bear markets, the markets and prices for stocks go crazy. This stock is trading below 10 times earnings. Growth rate well into the double digits. Peg ratio is 0.6 because of that. 2.7% dividend yield. They're diversifying their earnings base away from smartphones into automotive and Internet of Things. I know, but 185 sounds <clears throat> aggressive, right? It was at 193 at the beginning of the year. I think it can get back there within 12 months. I just wanted to guide you back to where I wanted you to get to. And that is, they love it like you love it. My question is, is 185 realistic or not? I think within 12 months, it's very realistic. I do. I think the earnings support it, which is the best thing you can say. The earnings and the cash flow support it. Okay. Final trades are next. Wow. That time already. Overtime. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Earnings. UAL reports, too. Did I mention Netflix reports? We'll see you then. Joe T., Shannon, Alex Kantrowitz, Chris Heisey, they're all with me. We'll break it all down. Josh Brown. I, I just, I was talking with Jenny on the break about if there is, like, COVID headlines this fall. And, of course, we all hope there aren't, but I'm starting to hear about new variants. I have an interesting hedge. I don't own the stock yet. Domino's Pizza, this was $565. It has since come down to like 300 It's bounced to 320 This is the stock that goes up 100 points if we start worrying about uh, anything to do with uh, uh, COVID once again. I think the stock's way too cheap fundamentally, and that would be the catalyst. So I'm actually thinking about it as a potential hedge. I will okay. keep you guys posted. Please do. Stephanie Link, final. Nike, they dominate the U.S. Shift to DTC will help margins. The stock's trading at 20 times 24 numbers. Okay, thank you very much for that. Jenny Harrington. SL Green, Josh and I were also talking about how he needs to be back in the office in New York City. 9.4% yield. If you believe people need to go into the city, this is a great place to be if you don't want to have New York City, be specific. Class A, the best offices in New York City. Okay. Farmer Jim. I'll step in front of Kinder Morgan just before earnings tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so still playing some energy, as uh, a lot of people are. All right. So as I said, I'll see you in overtime. We got Netflix earnings, got United Airlines numbers. We got the numbers, the reaction, everything you need to know. I will see you then. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.